Welcome everyone, this is Sasha of Moving Mountains. Today's guest is a passionate entrepreneurial and humanitarian leader in the creative handmade arts industry, an advocate seeking to support women who are otherwise disenfranchised due to their subservient roles in third world nations. She is an entrepreneur with a purpose, seeking to empower women and support their challenged communities across the world. Today we'll explore the inception of the Artisan Nation, a new venture offering women opportunities, nurturing their personal and professional growth. We'll learn about Danielle Scheel. We'll learn how Danielle's life journey unfolded through an opportunity that grants the recipients of her kindness, creativity, and business acumen a chance to build a better relationship with themselves by becoming empowered members of society at home, in the workplace, and the community. Welcome, Danielle, to Moving Mountains. Thank you so much for having me. You have accomplished a lot, and I found it very interesting that you have a doctorate in musicology. You've invested part of your career in teaching, yet it was the passion of hand-knitting that has brought you to where you are today. How did you discover your passion for hand-knitting? I've always had it since when I was a little girl, and it was a girl thing, and I grew up in a uh, with a working mother and I went to an all-girls school and so I was raised with the uh, you know it's in my DNA that women can do whatever you want and so all of a sudden when I got out there in the real world and I had a real passion for knitting and color and texture um, I realized that in many aspects of life that was put down and so it became my mission to show just because a girl's doing a trade, it's equal in value, if not more, than the trades that men do, like plumbing, painting, electrical trades. Um, yes, yeah, so I've always been involved and had this innate, uh, what's the word, probably in later adulthood drive uh, for making sure that things that women do are equally valued. Through your portfolio of work, you often stress about self-respect and women being empowered, and you grew up with your mom being an educator and yourself attending an all-girls school. What were you taught by your mom and your school about the value of women in the world? Yes, well, they do. what's really interesting is role modeling is much stronger than teaching somebody something. So... My mother, obviously before I was born, already had tertiary education and she's in her late 80s now and for that era that was rare. And again, when you're at an all-girls school, women are there to be educated. Um, The school that I went to didn't have an option for early leaving to do what was then in those days. You know, I'm a middle-aged woman now, but in those days it was... Um, the girl thing to do, to do secretarial work. Um, 
and there was no option in the school that I went to to do uh, that sort of uh, activity as a career. So it was expected from the very beginning that everybody who went to the school and the way my mother raised me was that you go to university and, in her words, you get a real job. You ha- also happen to be the founder of Coco, which is Knit One Garment, Change One Life. For how many years were you hand-knitting for pleasure before you were inspired to go out and share your entrepreneurial endeavors? Well, I learned to knit when I was a very little girl, when I was 10 years old. But the thing that enabled it to turn into an entrepreneurial venture for women is that when I learned to knit, I never had any boundaries. So I actually never knitted garments, but I could make anything. So there was no such things as mistakes. I could create shapes, and I had this absolute passion for color and texture. And so combine that with the strong DNA of what women can do in the world um, Coco just became naturally born to me because I don't know any other way. And that has led to the inception of the Artisan Nation. Now, it, the, one of the goals is to empower women from developing nations. There are a handful of developing nations. How were you able to narrow it down to India? Well, I guess like all things in life, you start with what you know the best and are very familiar with and then branch out. So the artisan nation is no different. So because of my previous working life, I'm fully entrenched in the southern area of Tamil Nadu, just north of Pondicherry. Um, I'm fully entrenched in the villages there. So that seemed the obvious place to start because I'm very much engaged with all the women. And then when the, uh, all the women from my first business, Coco, And then when the Artisan Nation was born, it was born as a result um, of neighbouring villagers who knew me there, who did other mediums saying, Danielle, Danielle, can you help us? And then equally I received an email from somebody else saying, Danielle, did you know that there was, this is at the beginning of COVID, that there were 16 million people in India unemployed in the fashion industry alone? Um, Can you do something? And so, you know, less than 24 hours later, actually, I thought, you know what, I can. And so the Artisan Nation was born um, to make sure that all these women uh, not only received work, because if these women don't work, that's a whole year out of their life. Like it meant that none of their children could go to school during this time. Um, And we all know that that's... It's pretty detrimental, you know, it's heartbreaking for anybody not to be able to send your children to school. So the Artisan Nation was born um, for my passion of just ensuring that all these women can send their children to school, that they have money to feed themselves, that they're not malnourished. And the only way to do that is to connect them with corporates from the developed countries. Now, you were introduced to India through the Coco Endeavour, as an outsider, when you visited one of the villages for the very first time in your career, was there a culture shock for you? <laughs> the white girl. <laughs> that white woman. <laughs> might have been more a culture shock for them, really. What's that white woman doing there? 
Um, but, you know, I've led my life firmly on the motto of make the implicit explicit. So when I, you know, went to the banks to open bank accounts for all these women when it was a battle and when I first met these women who were so beautiful and dressed in beautiful saris and, you know, gorgeous flowers through their plaited hair and they'd washed their hair and made themselves looked terribly gorgeous for me and I was there in my daggy gardening shorts and a t-shirt um, and they looked at me and said is that all you've got to wear I felt uh, mortified and I made it my mind in open I made it um, up my mind at that minute that I would do anything for these women so when I go to the banks and you asked about cultural differences I always make sure I make the implicit explicit. It's like, have a good look at me. I'm a white woman and I'm here to do business. And I know that, you know, I'm not an Indian male. Do you want to do business with me? Can we continue talking? And so I just start the conversations like this. So I sort of try to part those cultural differences aside. Now, some of the recipients and participants of the program may come from a subservient or non-educated background. Initially, how were you able to penetrate through the layers of a subservient uh, culture? Because this is more possibly on an individual level that in some cultures being subservient to a degree is considered a virtue, especially for a woman. Was there any hesitation on the part of the woman to participate or go against the wishes of their husband or another caretaker at home you are a hundred percent correct and all the women that I have met in India fall under that category from these rural villages down the south there all of them um, you know they're raised to be uh, terribly compliant um, they're raised by their parents and there's hell and high water both physically and verbally if they don't comply and then, as you're probably aware, almost the world knows they have arranged marriages, um, so they have no say in that either. And then after that, they still have no say because they have to beg and curtail to their husband's wishes. So they're not used to thinking for themselves, and they very much are entrenched in the model of to be loved is to be told what to do and to comply. So what happens is when they come to work, um, they're taught to think, you know, that complying mentality has its, you know, everything in this world has its place. No one wants to eradicate everything. Um, but it raises a whole generation of millions of women who actually are incapable of thinking for themselves. And that's really a massive detriment, I believe, to the world. And what happens is when they get to work from the very first day, they're asked questions that switch on the thinking part of their brain. It's like, you know, questions, basic questions. For example, if you are to arrive at work at nine o'clock, what time do you need to leave home? From simple questions like that to more complex questions in knitting, is this the same or different from this? And then it goes on to the next level so that when women talk to them and they end up in tears and I say to them, what happened? They're like, she da da da. And I'm like, so is that acceptable to you? No, it's not. So what 
do you say to the other person if somebody speaks to you in an unacceptable fashion? So then they speak up and speak um, and say, look, my feelings were really hurt and, you know, what was it? And then usually it's resolved. But the upside of all this is, you know, none of these ladies are schizophrenic. They take these skills home to their families and then they start to speak up to their husbands, you know, like, why did you scream at me like that? Why did you hit me like that? Like, what is it that you want? Just tell me. You don't have to hit me. So we're breaking the domestic violence cycle ever so slowly in these villages as well. That is wonderful to learn that there are shifts taking place, especially in women being feeling more confident to speak up for themselves. What is one of the most misunderstood realities of women among those villages? that they're just invisible. They have no voice and they have no brain and they're just not worth it. Um, even when I'm looking for staff from cities, that, uh, their fellow countrymen say, oh, uh, oh, yes, I have experienced village women. And I continue that conversation. It's like, what exactly have you experienced? It sounds like you really put these people down before you've even met them. Um, so, you know, we're always breaking cultural stereotypes. And last question regarding the participation in the program. Have there been any rare occurrences where a woman had to withdraw from the program because it went against the wishes of her family or the community? No, not at all. It's made for women who want to stand up to themselves. So the artisannation.com is a bridge. You know, it links corporates with women in developing nations. So when you say program, it's an equal two-way program for corporates to support the notion of empowering women and allowing millions of women to speak up and to have a voice and not be treated like this, equally to the women who are participating. And, you know, a, a joyful story is one day I said to one of the ladies, wow, you look so happy today and look at your knitting. It's amazing. You're on fire. And she says to me, Danielle, it's been one week since I was hit. I'm so excited. I can't tell you. And that is a reality that more people need to be made aware of. Some of the things that we take granted in our own lives. Well, that's right. The Artisan Nation is launched so that people can become aware of it. But it, becoming aware of it is not enough. Doing something about it is what it takes because I don't know one female on this planet that wouldn't stand up and be counted to allow another woman to not be treated like that. Very true. And with, I believe there are about two villages that are covered by the artists in Asia at the moment. Is there a certain outlook that you could forecast how many more villages will be participating, let's say, in the next two years? Well, the number of villages that are supported by the Artisan Nation is directly dependent on the number of corporates that wish to support a village. You know, so if you go to the artisannation.com website, there are so many ways that you can support us. You can support us financially. But one of our missions, for example, is to enable 
um, clean drinking water to um, give them vitamins. You know, if you eat rice all the time, you don't need me to tell you that makes one very malnourished individual. If you and I are without vitamin C or magnesium for a month, I'm sure um, you also, Sasha, know what that experience feels like if one of our vitamins or minerals is out of kilter. So these ladies have never known what it feels like to be good because they've never actually had a stable vitamin and mineral count. So any of those companies that specialize in that can come on board to support these women because the idea is um, that we do need people from developed countries to come on board. Otherwise, the, the human being that we're developing is not wholesome. Like what's the point of being able to speak up to your husband if you have no vitamin B and collapse after every sentence and have to be taken to hospital to have another male tell you you don't know what's wrong with you? You know, the whole thing is a, is a balanced program um, that, that uh, both sides need to equally support. But to answer your question with the number of villages, it really depends on the number of corporates that wish to support us. At the moment, is there any particular country from the from the developed nations that is leading their participation in the artisan nation? Uh, we've got people from Australia supporting, obviously because I'm Australian and I know um, companies here that are contributing. For example, uh, one company here purchased iPhones for the ladies and having an iPhone for one village, I can't begin to tell you what it does because all of a sudden it's raised, not only raised the standard of their own work, it's raised their confidence to a level that they never imagined, like their dream was to use a computer. Um, but their children now are also using smartphones and then they go to school and, you know, find things. So it's raised the level of education there. So yes, we have somebody from Australia doing that sort of thing. As yet, we don't have anybody from America, but we do have quite a few people from the UK who are also very supportive. And we have FedEx who's also being very supportive. Because in the world of Sasha Talks, we often focus on health and wellness. Through all of these endeavors, how do you nurture your well-being and spirituality, Danielle? Because in order to help others, you also have to take care of yourself. A hundred percent. So I, you know, most working women um, in the West often complain that they don't have a balanced life, um, whereas, you know, everybody's life sort of wafts and wanes through being balanced and unbalanced but in the scheme of life I have a fairly balanced life I exercise regularly I'm actually a swimmer and because um, I have that music background I'm very much involved in the world culturally I uh, my parents were pharmacists so interestingly enough I have regular blood tests to test vitamins and minerals so I'm fairly well educated in that area as well so it's my job to make sure that the women in these rural villages have the same opportunities of life that I have because I believe if the corporates can connect with the artisannation.com um, then the world will be a so much richer place because millions of these women will be wholesome themselves and that's why the artisan nation looks after vitamins and minerals as well as providing work because of the exact reason that you just said it's crucial to be wholesome health and wellness you know it's a foundation of everything is it not 
Absolutely. While you reference corporations that want to participate, if there are solopreneurs and individuals out there who would also like to contribute, that means would also be available for them? A hundred percent. So if you go to theartisannation.com and scroll down to the section that says get involved, um, there's you can give as little as $10 as a one-off fee or you can have it deducted monthly or quarterly and any amount is available there and we put it towards one specific village. So we need $10,000 for a village um, to have total balance. That's not only full-time employment to make sure that the entire village has vitamins and minerals checked, that they actually walk, that they have, you know, what the average person deems as a balanced life. Um, So that if individuals um, get involved financially, um, it goes towards one whole village so that when we have that amount for the village, then we go into a new village and off we go. Because you are intimately entrenched in the fashion industry and you referenced that there were about 16 million workers from the industry that have been left unemployed, out of curiosity, even though we're talking about women, how have the men been able to cope? Well, it's, that's a really good question, but my whole and sole focus is empowering women. So I haven't even gone there. You know, if the women are empowered and they have a balanced life, the world knows that the rest of the world will go on. Their children will be educated. They can live. They can stand up to their husbands. Their husbands can look after themselves and go on their own path. Now, in terms of entrepreneurship and just in a general business sense, what is the best business advice that you've been given during your career path? Well, I mentioned it earlier on and it's rather than business advice, it's really a life philosophy because many things in business are misunderstood. Um, It's difficult to achieve results. But my philosophy is a twofold one. Make the implicit explicit and just say yes. I like that, just to say yes. The worst business advice that you have heard that you would not want anyone to act upon (laughs) well the thing is if it's not so good I don't remember it so all I can remember you know I don't leave my life trying to remember the bad things that people do or say so you know I'm solely and wholly focused on the wonderful outcomes for these women so I can tell you a million positive stories of what they do I don't file away bad things. Finally, as we start to wrap things up, because we touch upon health, as much as blood tests are highly encouraged for women to know where their health stands, there are also physical movement leaders. How many physical movement leaders are there and how do they get the women to be involved? We don't have any yet. We're waiting for the Artisan Nation to find some, but what they will do is they'll move into the villages and um, either take the women's for on for walks or form a sporting team. Um, these women who have these women have never been to school. Most of the village women. So um, this notion that we have on the west of you know keep moving regardless is a foreign concept to them. So you know the, there are obviously in India lots of men's sports groups, but in rural villages. Um, there's nothing there for women. So it's a totally untapped opportunity for anybody who'd like to volunteer their time um, to come into the villages and get involved. And because you are Dr. Shiel, 
with a degree in musicology, <laughs> I have to ask you this. Do you have a favorite song? <laughs> I have lots of favorite songs. Um, but the thing that the doctorate is a specialist in is um, actually understanding how the nuts and bolts of things are put together. So when it comes to putting together the details of projects and uh, linking to parts, that it doesn't really matter whether the field is corporates and women in developing countries or music putting together the parts. That's actually what I'm a specialist in. So um, it just means that I know how to pull those things off. And just to de-stress, is there in your personal life for pleasure, is there a song that would define the theme of your life or your latest endeavors? <laughs> that is what I meant. <laughs> well, I could joke and say, you know, from the sound of music, there's that uh, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, isn't it? And... Um, I think of that particularly in reference to the ladies because they have nothing to start with. So we build their foundation. And just as, uh, you know, Julie Andrews and The Sound of Music can build a fantastic movie and a fantastic song out of that, um, it is my, uh, you know, my desire and uh, it will actually happen to pull this big picture off with women in uh, rural villages and corporates connecting with each other. So we have this flourishing music and flourishing rich world that flows between the two entities. How beautiful. Danielle, thank you for sharing an overview of the artist and nation. Can you please share with audiences how they can connect with you? Oh, thank you so much. So it's really easy. Just go to theartisannation.com and if you want to email me, scroll down to the bottom of the site and it says connect with me. It's Danielle at theartisannation.com. But the very last line on the whole, whole site says, I'd love to discuss this more with you. Drop me a line by clicking here. And if you click there, it goes straight to my email address. So I look forward to hearing uh, from any of the listeners. It would be amazing. Thank you, Danielle. And I encourage everyone to visit theartisannation.com. Until next time, be well.